I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Comfortable by Design. Celebrating 10 years hosting and producing the show has given me so much that I cannot even tell you how much it means to me. That's why I strive to continue giving back to this incredible industry of ours every chance I get, and because it's important, and I think that because it took me so long to figure out what I wanted to do when I grew up, not, not saying I've totally grown up. <laughs> Giving back to the business is important. Do you know that when I started Confold by Design, I was the only person recording panel conversations from our amazing design events. I think I started recording panels in 2014, and for the first four years of the show, I would approach guests to be on the show, and the, the first question would always be, you know, sounds great, what's a podcast? Nobody asks me that anymore. I'm, I'm also not the only one recording the panels and conversations anymore. And that's a good thing. I would credit the wider distribution of critical design thinking for some of the groundbreaking work that we see today in the business to new products and services available to designers and, and through to their clients is nothing short of remarkable. The pandemic brought a wholesale change to the way we think about design. It fundamentally changed the very nature of the business. Listening back to some of the conversations I had during lockdown was not only transformational in the way I think about the business, but it informs my editorial calendar and some of the things in store for you here on Convo by Design in future episodes. The following conversation is a look back to the future with a group I spent some time with during lockdown. I started hosting the Wellness and Design Thought Leadership Series back in 2017. It has had a few different names, but the idea that wellness and design thought leadership are inextricably tied together makes sense to me. Anyway, and, and that is how I settled on this name for the gatherings, both live, in-person, and virtual. This cohort features an illustrious group of creatives who joined me during the pandemic via Zoom, and we gathered again in January of this year to check in. This conversation features Lori Hafel. Uh, Rosina Nazarian, Alexandra Abramian, Gary Gibson, Takashi and I, and Josh Boris. We cover a lot of ground, how the industry is changing in real time. I hope you enjoy this conversation with some wonderful friends right after this. I am incredibly proud of Convo by Design in year 10, and I'm equally proud of my partnership with Thermosol. They've been presenting partners of Convo by Design for three years now, and there is a certain amount of pride that comes with saying that the show is presented by the company that is the best in the world at what they do. Thermosol engineers the most exceptional smart shower products and steam shower systems worldwide for a few reasons. They were the first company to design patent the technology here in the U.S. dating back to 1958. Thermosol, a U.S. brand, a U.S. manufacturer in Round Rock, Texas, employs an engineering team that designs, tests, and continuously refines the product. Their quality control team tests every single steam generator before it departs the factory. Who else does that? Nobody. I have had the pleasure of working with some world-class designers and architects who tell me and you probably know this, that the idea of luxury has changed and continues to change, especially when clients want a spa-like bathroom. Steam is mandatory. Or it's just not considered a, a, a luxury space. And if you want to add steam, you have one true option. It's Thermosol. And now, Thermosol, the industry leader in steam, bath equipment, and technology since 1958, is enhancing their already stellar family of products with new indoor and outdoor luxury saunas. Available in three design configurations, each sauna is handcrafted from clear western red cedar or Nordic spruce inspired by the brilliance of Northern European sauna technology and design. A luxury bathroom isn't luxury without steam. If you want luxury, you have one option. It's Thermosol. Check them out at thermosol.com and at thermosol on the socials. Okay, so I will, I will preface this by saying, um, the last time we met was at the Ornare showroom. We did the Convo by Design Design Influencers Group. And I, I loved these gatherings because they were 90 minutes. We all got to sit down, break bread, chop it up, talk about the business. And I want, I want to say that we met like a couple of months before the pandemic started. And you know what's really funny? So I've, I've met all of you in person, as well as you know now doing this on video. But prior to the pandemic, after doing it at the time for like seven years doing the show, 
I would say that the number of interviews that I did virtually was maybe three. And then in the next two and a half years, the number of interviews that I did live was maybe three. So it had completely flip-flopped, which is why I really wanted to sort of circle back with all of you and find out, here's, here's the concept, here's the, here's the question. How has, how has the, the industry, how has the business changed for you? How has your practice changed? Not like, what do the trades say? We're not, it's not like, well, it's really hard to get product. Totally get it. Um, supply chain, totally get it. But fundamentally, like, how has this changed for you? How has the business changed for you? What are you doing differently? Are you designing differently? Are you, are you interacting with people differently? Um, and, and what I'm going to do first is I'm going to actually go to Lori first, because I think one of the things that I find so interesting is during this whole thing, you were still traveling back and forth. Like you spent most of this at your office in New York and you were traveling back and forth. How did that change for you? Um, and how did you adapt? Well, it's interesting because when we all last met, we did talk about trade shows. Do you remember that? We talked about what shows are important to go to, you know, how do we keep up on, you know, the trends and what's happening in the industry. So I happened to be in, in Palm Springs for modernism and I got a phone call. It was February and I got a phone call that my mother had received a lung to get a lung transplant at the Cleveland Clinic. So I flew directly from Palm Springs to Cleveland Clinic. And I was there when COVID hit and they told us that we had to leave. We couldn't even say goodbye or anything. We had to leave the hospital. And so I had a decision. I could either go back to LA and, you know, I figured, you know, it'll be over in two weeks. So why don't I just go to my house in New York, hunker down for two weeks, and then I'll go back to LA or Cleveland Clinic or wherever I needed to go. So it turns out I went back to um, New York and, um, Needless to say, I haven't, I haven't really left. I set up an office here. I've been working remotely here. And I honestly, had I known I could have done this 10 years ago, I would have done it 10 years ago because I'm in my childhood home, which is a stickly house. And I'm in my childhood town, which my family is my son's seventh generation in this tiny little town. <laughs> so right now I'm, I'm home again. So it's really quite comforting and it's really nice to be here. She muted herself. Oh, yeah. sorry. No, you know what? I think that was my fault. Sorry, Lori. <laughs> I would say I, I, I'm happy that I'm not running around going to meetings all day long and, and the LA traffic and the chaos. And I have a much more grounded lifestyle. You know, my lifestyle is much more calm and I actually have time for myself. I'm actually exercising. I lost a little weight. I've been like, taking better care of myself. So anyway, that's kind of what's happening for me, you know, in my business, I'm, it's a little trickier, you know, managing all my jobs, but I'm getting jobs all across the country now, not just in LA. Um, I have a job in Nashville. I have two jobs in Manhattan, um, job in Hawaii. So um, I don't know. I think it's helped broaden my business and it's made me more sane. <laughs> I'm interesting. Sure you understand. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Josh, curious. Um, from your perspective, any similarities to that, or was your experience completely different? You know, it's funny, uh, for the first part of COVID, I feel like our business didn't really change. I was still going to job sites, work was still progressing. Um, we still had clients wanting to, you know, work with us to design and build houses and, um, for a small bit, the real estate market took a little bit of a dive and then kind of, you know, came back uh, roaring again. So nothing really changed for a while um, other than really supply chain issues, uh, inflation. But, um, but what really changed for me, I think, was valuing relationships, relationships with people as far as meetings, face-to-face, uh, -face, um, caring for people, being able to reach out, um, you know, relationships that we've developed over time where it became that much more meaningful really with our, our suppliers and our vendors. And, um, and that's what really changed. But other than that, you know, the course of our business hasn't really changed all that much. Um, not a lot of people really want to do virtual meetings or as on our, on our vendor side, um, you know, we have to make more appointments these days with uh, showrooms and, 
you know, city personnel and, um, but really nothing has replaced those face-to-face meetings on site, being able to walk through a construction site and, uh, and see things firsthand. So this is interesting. Um, Takashi, I was thinking about you at the very beginning of the pandemic, because mm-hmm. one of the things that I made an opportunity to, I made a chance to do this because I figured I would never have another chance to do it again. Um, still living in LA at the time, I took my daughter and we went on a, uh, on a little photo safari downtown LA, <laughs> completely empty, um, went to Angel's Flight, went to the Disney, went to the Broad, uh, walked around Mocha, just walked around downtown LA, which was, it was eerily empty. It was, it was spooky. And I took the camera and I just went and, and took some pictures and it was, and then we went down Wilshire and I went back to LACMA and, and I wanted to try to get, I'm not good at Photoshop, but I thought this is going to be the only chance that I can go to the lights in front of LACMA and mm-hmm. not have all of the tourists walking mm-hmm. in between in my pictures. So I got some really cool images, but it was surreal and it was weird. And knowing how you are with photography, I was one, you know, did you do anything like that? Did you, did you take advantage of any opportunities to go see things oh, that ordinarily wow. you might not see? That is such an interesting question. Um, you guys can hear me, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, good. Wow. Uh, that's so funny. Well, I'm putting together a talk right now for Modernism Week, and, and there are going to be a couple shots in there of my daughter, like out and about in LA, but they were all pre-pandemic. My daughter's 16 now, so she's less cooperative <laughs> when it comes to like going out on photo safaris with me. No, Josh, my, my experience is totally like my Instagram game is totally off now. So um, no, I haven't been taking as many photos. It's weird. I was just thinking about that the other day, um, but it's, it's been a little bit the opposite, but I do like what Lori and Josh were saying about Lori, you feeling a little bit more sane or life being a little bit more sane. That's good. So I hope that's the case for all of you guys. And Josh, what you're saying about like the human connection, which I totally agree with. So I'm sure every one of us has has got good stories about how we've sort of recalibrated life, you know, after this whole thing. Um, So for me, it has been, I have been on out and about a little bit more. I've always been out and about a lot but mostly in LA, but over the pandemic, I, I actually bought a place in San Francisco and then a place that has been in the family for a long time in Tokyo kind of came into my orbit again. So that's been my recalibration is that the work hasn't changed that much where as busy as we've always been, if not a little busier, um, obviously working remotely has like allowed all of us to kind of trust the people we work with in a different way. And so it's been great. We've had the San Francisco studio open now five years, but I feel like much more part of that community now that I have a place there and I can spend more time there. And then now the next frontier is to fold Tokyo back into my work. It's always been part of my life, but fold it back into my work life, um, you know, uh, universe. So that's been a change. And maybe it would have happened, but I kind of doubt it. You know, it's, Wait, it's one of those silver linings. Takashi, you're based LA, San Francisco, and Tokyo now? Well, officially, I'm based in LA. A lot of people think I live in San Francisco for whatever reason, which is, like, I guess, a good thing. It means, like, I'm present enough there. Mm-hmm. And then, and then um, yeah, the next frontier, we just finished a project. I don't know if you guys know the publication Casa Brutus. It's a Japanese, it's like the Japanese dwell, but it was just on the cover Ooh. of Casa Brutus. It came out like a week ago. Like Brutus, like Brutalist, Brutus? Brutus, yeah, B-R-U-T-U-S. So Ooh. Brutus is like a fashion magazine and Casa Brutus is there. It's mm. like El Decor, it's mm-hmm. like there, yeah. Very cool. um, it's like Armani Home. Yeah, it's kind of like that, exactly. But Casa okay. Brutus, in a way, has better cred now than Brutus. Like over the years, you know, people mm-hmm. have begun to really lean into it and like it. So, um, yeah, 
um, you know, I'm sure everyone has stories about things that could have been better, but all in all, and as designers, I think we're all glass half full kind of people, forward looking people. So the silver linings have been interesting. They they have, and, and you you know whose you know whose social media game has gotten really strong through all this is Gary's. And if you would ask Gary a couple of years ago about social, I believe the quote at the time was, "I don't have time for that shit." Gary, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> I, believe, I believe that was the time. What's interesting? What's interesting too is. Uh, your retail side. So hmm. we've talked about this. I'm, I'm trying to put myself in, in your, in your position. Right. But knowing that the retail store isn't what you live and die by, like if the store closed today, you'd be disappointed, but it wouldn't affect your livelihood. It wouldn't affect your life. I, I feel like it's your creative passion and you'd have to find something else. But what was the retail side for you when ev- all of a sudden everyone stops coming and then getting flooded after that because people are looking for stuff because they can't find it. What's that experience like? I, I was surprised how easily I took it um, because we just honkered down. And for the first couple of months, everybody just worked remotely from home. And that got old for me. I mean, like Takashi was saying, it was, I, I was out, I've always been out and about a lot, but I tended to have my little pod of people that we would walk together in isolated areas. We, we kind of just shut society out and did our thing. So for the, the retail for, for probably six months didn't happen, which was fine. Um, the design studio, there was only two of us that would come in occasionally. Um, and we did that and it worked fine because we had fortunately enough, enough design projects to keep working through all of this. I was disappointed because I couldn't buy stuff for the store, you know? So you lose that aspect of the pleasure side for me is my store is basically a, a passion project is an expensive hobby. Um, so, but I did find that once could open up again and it was limited in the beginning that we kind of got bombarded because everyone was tired of being isolated. And it was really, um, it was great because it was stimulating to get back into society and socialize in, in person, but it was also um, overwhelming how much we were selling because like I say, the sales from this does not make my existence. It's just more fun. So it was kind of fun to see every day would be like a lot of sales. And it kind of threw us off because we're busy with the design and it takes us away from that. And it's, it's, it, it was a good problem to have. Don't, I'm not complaining at all, but I think people got, so, and we were at the beginning, we go, well, you, you can only come and we can only, you can look online, you can't come into the store and we'll deliver it to you or pull into the alley and we'll load it to your car. So we went through all the protocols that were in place for everybody, not to put anybody in danger of getting it. Like knock on wood, I never got COVID, which is kind of shocking because it seems like everybody has had it. The worst thing I've had is the flu recently, which was horrible. But fortunately, everyone has stayed healthy in the office uh, because we were really strict on the protocols. Uh, and now I, I start to see, we also, during COVID, when we started opening the store again, we, we, our hours went to 10 to four instead of uh, nine to six. Hmm. Well, we've kept those hours. That's awesome. Love that. <laughs> so everybody in the office loves it. They get yeah. in a little later. They, they're done by four o'clock and we go home. Um, and I've gotten a little used to it. It's like, God, I have to be there at 10. 11 would be really nice. So, you know, but at this age, at this stage in my life, it's kind of like Lori and Takashi said, it's like it it alters your lifestyle. You have more time for things that are aside from the business. I mean, I tend to live and breathe this and I do love chaos. So I'm a little 
I'm, I'm trying to get back into that mode because I do like it. And I do love the social aspect of the store. Um, so I feel like it's indirectly kind of been good. It's bittersweet, you know, it was a horrible thing, but I think we're coming out of it and everyone we deal with on a design level, it takes forever to get anything. And it's nice how our clients have kind of adapted and like, oh, if it's going to take nine months, that's fine. Mm -hmm. And everyone has kind of accepted it. No one's going to push back and say, well, that's ridiculous. And I think when you talk to showrooms and suppliers, they're all very busy, um, which is great for our economy as, as a design industry. But I do think, like Lori was talking about shows, I'm a little apprehensive still in large crowds now. <laughs> I'm not so thrilled to go to any of the shows right now. I know a lot of people are going to Paris next week. K-Biz. Lots of people going to K-Biz, I heard. Yeah. And I know a lot of people went to, um, what's the one down south? Um, High Point. The big, I, don't, I forget the name of it. Uh, south Carolina. How, High Point? High point, yes. And a lot of people this year went to that. Um, I tend not to do that as much. I've done a lot more ordering of any production stuff that we may have for the store online now, which I never like doing. I hate Zoom, nothing personal, but I just, it's so impersonal. And like at UCLA, I'm trying to get Eleanor to get us back in class because they're still on Zoom classes. It's it, you don't you need that connection, that hum, humanity. I think we lose that. You are listening to my conversation with some friends in the biz, and we'll be right back. Design Hardware's newly remodeled showroom is where you will find a gallery style space with a thoughtful display of products purposefully positioned to allow unbridled exploration and discovery. High end faucets, luxury tile, natural stone, wood floors, and bespoke hardware selections are presented in a holistic manner, strategically arranged to stimulate creativity and transition your vision from the conceptual stage to a fully realized space. Conveniently located, free parking available, stop by to find your inspiration, collect samples, get expert advice, and tackle everything on your shopping list all in one place. Visit them online at designhardware.com or in the real world, 6053 West 3rd Street in Los Angeles. We talk all the time about transformative design. We, we have conversations about it, but what does that really mean? Design improves the lives of those who inhabit the space, right? But it also feeds the creativity and the soul of the individual who creates it. Are you looking for a way to give back? The Oasis Alliance is a 501c3 collective of creatives based in and around the Washington, D.C. area with a mission to provide healing spaces for those who are rebuilding, rehabilitating, and recovering. Have you wondered how to apply your design skills to uplift your community? It all starts with a desire and a willingness to share your gifts. Danielle Woodhouse Johnson of the Oasis Alliance and her team are looking for guest designers, in-kind sponsors, and funding to make better the spaces and therefore the lives of everyday people who find themselves coming out of traumatic situations. Do you want to help? Check out theoasisalliance.org for more information. Which, you know, you bring up another, another topic too, just the fact that everyone had to change the manner in which they do business. And there are some people, you know, like Lori, I think you're totally taking advantage of, of this being able to, to work on projects, Takashi, you as well, being able to work on projects that are outside of your core, you know, Los Angeles, San Francisco, working on this design house in Tulsa, you know, learning how to do a project that is both virtual and remote at the same time, those are, those are art forms. Rosita, are your, are your, are all your clients still primarily Los Angeles or did you find an opportunity to use this to, to branch out as well? Um, not really, but I'm kind of working on it. And uh, throughout these years, so I got to know people that uh, have more opportunities somewhere else too, but still working on it but uh the farthest i went it was like just uh, long beach you know pasadena um uh, topanga canyon calabasas these are the farthest 
that I went, not out of uh, California yet, but it's my, it's my dream. So I really uh, like love to get some uh, jobs that are outside California. Yeah, well, it's interesting, Rosita, because you and I met, um, I think you were working on Pasadena. Yes. The Pasadena Showcase House at the time. And, you know, I mean, Showcase Houses took a took a major hit. But what's really interesting to me about this, too, is, Alex, you know, you you used this opportunity to start getting more into coaching and using you've got kind of this hybrid going on now where you've got this coaching thing, you've got the journalism thing. I, I'm curious, and I can share my experience like on on how this whole thing has changed. I've I've never been busier, you know, going out to KBiz and Gary, yes, I'm one of the people that's going. Um, I'm speaking out at, out at Winter Market in Las Vegas at the same time. Just opportunities have opened up. And Alex, have you found that designers are more willing now to learn a new skill kind of because they have to? Mm, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's because they feel like they have to, or it seems like designers have tons of work right now because all that money for the past few years that didn't go to your European vacation or your vacation home is going into your primary residence or uh, just the flood of projects. I think designers feel like I have so much work. It's been shot. It was so hard to come by. I want to get press for it. And also with Instagram, designers are seeing how much press everybody, their peers are getting. And they're starting to think, why am I not getting press? My stuff's just as good. So I think that may be driving part of the um, desire to get their work featured in the media. I think that might be part of it. So I'm going to I'm going to open this up. You know, this is not just me asking you guys questions. I I've always liked when these were more discussions, you know, and Zoom made it a little bit harder, but I also feel like this this being on Zoom as long as as long as we have now has sort of let everyone learn how to flow in and out of the conversation, which by the way, and let that be a topic too because I think that that's a skill that we didn't really necessarily have in the past because we didn't have to practice that because everyone's in person. So you can jump into a conversation, but because with Zoom, there's like this digital lag, you kind of have to wait for your moments, yeah. which I think make, which I think make, make the conversations more, more poignant. But the question is, and I'm going to just throw this out to the floor to anyone who wants to jump in. Here's what's really interesting. This idea of coverage you know, what we saw with the trades was th this idea that showing a project is more of an experience now. Um, you know, in the past, designers, architects, you guys would only shoot the projects that were, quote unquote, you know, coverage worthy. Whereas now, you know, designers I talk to are actually making the investment to have every project that they complete shot because there's, there's an application there. There's a use for it. If it's not in coverage in a publication, you can use it in social media, but you can use it. Takashi, it's something that because of your photography background, you always had an opportunity to take advantage of, mm -hmm. of that skill that you have. Not that you shot architecture, but that you shot things that were meaningful to you. But now with the, with the trade pubs, you know, the, the magazines kind of lost the distribution was what they really owned. And when you lose your street dis distribution, all of a sudden that controlled circulation where it went into people's homes was like gold, but then the price of paper went up. So the, you know, the, the magazines were getting a little bit smaller and it changed the nature of the business. I'm curious what you all find as far as how you promote your projects, how you get new clients, how you're working on developing new business Lori, like you mentioned, you know, in other cities outside of your, your core, whereas where everyone in California may have known who you are, you know, if you want to work on a project in Tennessee, you got to build a new audience there or get word of mouth and get an introduction. But that's still a form of, of self-promotion. How has that side of the business, not the creative side, but and not the specification or respecification side, but how has the actual career development client development changed for each of you? 
I had a oh, I know. Oh, oh, go ahead. Lori, I was curious when you said during COVID, you actually developed more projects during the course of it, of COVID. I'm curious, was that online, word of mouth? How was that communicated and how was that process? I don't, you know, I don't really know. I mean, all my projects are um, repeat and referral. I don't get very, I mean, maybe a little tiny project here and there from house that doesn't have an architect or an interior designer involved in it. Um, but I, I don't know. I think that because, you know, designers and architects are so busy, they, you know, they pretty much pass on the kitchen projects and the closet projects to me. Most of my jobs are closets now, but the two jobs that I have in New York are from an LA client. I was helping her with her closet and she said, Oh, I we're building a condo. And you know, there's a condo we're having in, built in Manhattan. I need you to help me with that. And Oh, I need you to help me with my long Island house. And <laughs> so just the fact that I'm my clients in LA are finding out that I'm also on the East coast now, um, you know, is I think helping a lot and it's just word of mouth, just talking to my clients and letting people know where I am and what I'm doing. And I had to let everybody know, listen, I'm, I'm going to be bi-coastal and I'm going to be working in New York, but if you need me, I'm on the next plane, which is why I'm leaving tonight <laughs> to go to LA for a morning meeting. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that everybody knows that I'm here and everybody, you know, knows that I'm available. And that's the hard, challenging thing. People thought I left for New York. I went to LA for a dinner party and they said oh I thought you moved I was like oh no <laughs> I have to get the word out there I haven't left I'm here I'm viable you know I'm still working um just you know by coastal we've been fortunate to work all over the country I mean we have like four projects out of state <clears throat> and but it's like Lori it's our all our projects are word of mouth and the networking of I mean, I'll post stuff on social media about projects, but it's more random, like progress shots. It's not necessarily finished shots. I'm Alex will laugh at this, but I'm not a big one on proponent of, I don't have the need to publish my work. You know, it's interesting. You see people like, oh, they're always getting published. Maybe I should just submit some stuff, but it's like, I, I could just, it's not my realm of thinking to do that because fortunately we're busy with our clients and it keeps coming and I, I feel like if I put it out there we'll get too much and I don't want to be bigger now I'd rather downsize now because at this point it's, it's getting to points of your life different decades of your life I think affect how you proceed and at this point at 70 I want to start working less so I want to do the things that I love, love, love. Like I love the store, but I, I, the design projects, I want them to be really substantial. And fortunately, we have the clientele and our clientele doesn't want to be published. None so of our your projects are have, full homes. Full homes. And so the problem is if I, even if I wanted to publish stuff, most of my clients say the only way possibly would be anonymously. Yeah. Which is mm-hmm. annoying, but everyone wants a name. Um, and so names, yeah. they always want to connect it, you know, entertainment wise, whatever. And my so I don't even bother anymore on that level. So that's, I think young designers have social media, which is a nice outlet for them. And I think I've watched your progress in your lectures and your uh, format of teaching designers how to get published is a good thing because I think your world is so different now. And social media, you can actually create a career on social media. Totally, yeah. I've watched several designers and how they've grown on social media and how they become big stars, so to speak. I'm more like, I wanna be under the radar a little. I'm, I'm busy, thankfully. I'm fine. I think it's interesting how it's progressed over the years. I'm curious how everybody else kind of I think most designers that are busy, it's always been word of mouth. Yeah. What do other people, well, like Takashi, well, how do you for, your Yeah. Clients? It is, you know, mostly word of mouth. I got to say back in the day, so I don't know if you all know, but, but um, you know, it's a partnership. So I have three partners and one of them is Stephen Ehrlich. So he kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, he really established it. And so um, back in the day, it was publication you know, AD 100 and being on the cover of Digest and all that. And, you know, for a certain segment of our clientele, like 
they're still aware of Stephen, right? But now it is mostly, and, and by the way, we do get published a lot. Publication is important to us, but that's never how the clients find us. However, it is really important for us because it, once they find us through referral and then they do a little Google or we can point them to totally. stuff, they go, oh, totally. you guys that- are legit or, oh, you guys did that house or, oh, those are my friends. Totally. So it's just a way of reinforcing like, you know, we have. It doesn't, le- it doesn't I think PR doesn't attract the clients anymore, yeah. but it right. converts them. Yes. Yeah. So, so I would never dismiss it. I still think it's super important, but more and more just being out and about, like the funny thing about Steven, like he, you know, at a very young age, he, he had a very, a great reputation, but he didn't network that much because it came through publication. He's learning how to network now because I'm telling him (laughs) you got to leverage yourself, dude. And he's like 76 and he's not really slowing down. He's like pivoting. Um, but he did court uh, the press. He was good at that. He, he did. You're right. You're mm-hmm. absolutely right. Because that was how people found us back yeah. in the day. But now it is more direct referrals. It's like friends of friends or friends of clients or repeat clients. And um, or, or friends of or, or referrals through contractors or designers or whatnot. So right. I was just trying to think of like let's say the last 10 jobs in the in the pro, in the office i think every single one of them has been through some sort of personal connection not publication that's interesting what yeah. about people on this call who get their work photographed have i've noticed just this runaway train of cost associated with hiring a photographer and a stylist like we recently had someone who finished a big project they wanted to get it shot well so they hired a stylist and a good photographer and it was twenty thousand dollars to get it photographed and i've just i feel like that's been sort of a pandemic thing that price has gone way up you know you know what's interesting this is really interesting to me because i have i have spoken to a lot of other designers i i think it's what i think that's a really interesting idea i think every creative out there, designers, architects, but photographers, stylists have have all had to sort of reevaluate what it is that they do. And what we seem to be in right now as well is we're in this we're in this really interesting time where, like oh seven oh eight, during the financial crash, you had all of these new creatives come into the creative endeavors, come into the business. Look how many designers came in to the business in 07, 08. Mm-hmm. And, and then over time, the, the wheat separates from the chaff, you know, the weak ones fall away. Well, right now, I think we're in this. The question is, do you think we're in the same time where that's happening, but also on the other creative endeavors like photography, the really good ones are making a mint while there are others who wants to who wants to experiment with a new des- a, a new photographer on the project knowing that you're you're going to get one chance to shoot it who wants to do that right right are you I guess asking, nobody are you asking me a specific, <laughs> a specific question no no it's just more of an more of an idea more because it's an it's an interesting concept it's an interesting idea um and i think that yeah you know everything has gotten more expensive to do it but but also i'm i'm curious do you all you know we can go around the horn but do you all shoot every project you complete now laura you're nodding your head no 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 i have to be really selective because i really don't um i don't really want to spend all my money on on you know photographs and not every job is, you know, I just pick the real special ones. Mm-hmm. And then my goal is really just to submit for competition. That's the only reason I photograph jobs, to be honest with you. Uh, Rosita. I, yeah. I mean, um, I wish because uh, I've done a few um, nice projects. Uh, every time I want to go and uh, take pictures, either the floor is covered or something is missing yeah. or it's not completed. And yeah. then all of a sudden in one day, you see that people are moved in with it's all destroyed. their old furniture and boxes. Yeah. And I said, come on. 
I mean, I didn't have a chance. I So I go there, I have to move a lot of things just to shoot something small, not the whole house. Like I see on Instagram that we were talking about, like they do uh, like a real videos that they open the door and they go from room to room and they show all the details. I can't do that. And I'm, I'm looking forward to do that. But every time there is something that it's blocking. And mm -hmm. that was uh, actually my, my first um, um, problem that um, I do. I design very nice houses, big houses, and one in Palisades. Uh, they just brought a, um, the owner didn't want to spend that much on um, staging because it was for sale. And I worked very hard on this project. And all of a sudden the stagers come and they put the lousiest, the most ugliest furniture there. Yeah. And I go, I say, okay, if I, I mean, this is not mine. And, you know, but when it's there and you photo shoot it, it's like, it's yeah. yours. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't want my clients or whoever views it to know that this is mine, actually. Because it's, yeah. I have to separate because I do a lot of um, construction from yeah. projects to very major uh, remodeling and mm -hmm. uh, furniture. Sometimes it's uh, there or not, or they're waiting, you know, uh, they say, oh, let's see, I bring my furniture in first and then we do it later. So by the time they bring their old furniture, I mean, there's nothing I can do there anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, it's done. <laughs> So um, I kind of uh, getting that experience and um, I'm careful when exactly to go and take a picture. And sometimes they don't even tell me that they are moving it. They know that I want <laughs> right. to challenge I, you know, I think it, it gets down to the, like the hustle of it all. Like Takashi, you have a big firm. I don't know how many people are in it. There's a bigger machine that you have to keep running. Therefore, yeah. photography, your social media, all these things. Stephen Ehrlich is is, is a well-known architect that's, you know, that's been around for a long time, very mm -hmm. beautiful work, but you have to keep that machine going and it's always part of the hustle day to day for the next five projects. And like yeah. you say, we all get referrals, word of mouth. I do get, I've had some sizable, really good projects come out of the store. So the combination of the store and a regular client and asking, by the way, we have this big house in Bel Air. Could, could you come look at it? And it turns into a project. Mm -hmm. So randomly, I get it that way. But mostly it's word of mouth. And I think, though, that at the end of the day, we're all hustling, so to speak. But not in a bad way. Just you have to be out there on some level. Um, I don't want it on a bigger scope just because I said it, it where I am in my life. But I think everyone is doing the same thing, trying to capture a client that you like, has some money to spend on a, on a property that's worthy of the budget that you think it's gonna take. Right. So it, it's a constant, it's a constant, it, 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 it's the business of design, which I think a yeah. lot of people forget. Yeah. Well, Gary, it reminds me, back to your first question, Josh, about like where we were before the pandemic and where we are now. Like Gary, you love your store, right? Yes. And it's your way to touch the public, right? That's right. like one of your interfaces. So that's been my, I guess, like the bottom line is the biggest takeaway for me during the pandemic is figuring out the hustle. I love the hustle, actually. Right. But you have to love it. Like, if you don't, you know, if you don't love it, why are we doing it? Right. So it's that all passion. The stuff about, it's the passion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's happening. part of design. It's not just the design. Exactly. Right. Yeah, but the, so. you know, it's funny. The store is really a passion project for me. It's all selfish, but people go, "Is this what your design is like?" And I go, "Not really. I don't." Right. Store <laughs> as a, as a, it, it's a separate entity for me. Totally. Like, entity right. for me. The yeah. people that love it, I'm very grateful for. But it's not the yeah. purpose of me. Everyone's going to want to hire me now as a designer because of the store. I don't think I would hire me from the from the store. It's stuff that I like to collect that doesn't have any rhyme or reason for. I mean, we have a lot of regular customers, don't get me wrong, but it's just, that wasn't the purpose of the store. So mm -hmm. we all have aspects of our creative process that we like to entertain because we do right. furniture, we do the store, we do whatever. 
So it's just one part of the creative process that I like to entertain. That's you cool. know, sometimes we actually will show off that process more than the finished results because like Rosita, sometimes we can't get really good images or we have clients who don't want to showcase their homes. Um, oh, yeah. But the process can be equally valuable for us because it shows the evolution of a design. Um, it's kind of fun to see the before and afters or the process, you know, throughout the course of a project. So we've had some good luck um, with those images, you know, in, in instances where we don't have final, you know, beautiful photographs to showcase. You know, one thing that we talk about um, with the designers is the hustle of, you know, finding your next clients is it's sort of like a two part project. You design the house for your client, for what they want and how they live and who they are, et cetera. Then when it comes to photographing the project, it's a totally different design. It's you redesign the entire home yeah. just for the photographs, whether it's through staging or styling or however you do it. And that's where you do a completely different kind of visual storytelling that's just yours to capture your next client. So I think sometimes designers feel like they're cheating or they're being unauthentic if the photographs don't actually look like the house. But I think that's sort of the essence of hustle and being strategic with your very, very expensive photography is to make sure that it's completely designed to get your next project. Mm -hmm. You know, jumping onto that a little bit, there's kind of like the the next level or the next chapter of that conversation. And it's really interesting. Part of me wishes that for this conversation, we had a new designer on, you know, some student who just, you know, someone, what's that? A guinea pig? No, not so much a guinea pig, but someone from, you know, Gary, someone from your, one of your yeah. classes, only because like, all of us here, look, this is my second career you know, as a journalist. I've been doing what I do with Convo by Design for 10 years now. And prior to that, I was, I was in broadcast. This is not the, if this went away today, I would be, I would be bummed. I'd be really sad, but I would still have a life to live on. You know, I would still, you know, if for some reason, like the internet went away overnight, I, I'd find another way to tell stories about design and architecture because I love doing that. You all, if if your firm's closed today for whatever reason, you would all go on. This is not life or death for, for anyone here, but someone who's new in design, who is just, you know, maybe maybe they're paying that tuition at design school right now. You know, they're they're they've learned their merchandising. They're at the very beginning of their careers. And now they're like, okay, I've got my career. Now, how do I get a client? Now, how do I make a design? How do I, and I feel like this pandemic experience has accelerated and accentuated this idea of FOMO to such a degree that ev everyone's afraid, so afraid of missing out that that's why we've amped up this need to, to submit to the, to the trade publications, which is also why I know that you're probably like me and you've seen on social media, the seven, the seven things about kitchens that are going away in 2023, <laughs> you know, this idea of the 11 things that you have to incorporate in your design for the next year. It's just, it's gotten so ridiculous. And at, at the same time, like, I love Arc Digest. I really do. I've loved Arc Digest since I was a teenager and my parents would have it and I'd look at their magazines on the on the coffee table and I just thought, wow, this is so cool. But not long after that, MTV came along and MTV started doing, uh, you know, MTV Cribs. Well, that's what Arc Digest does now with their videos. Yeah. That is MTV Cribs. Yeah. And it, it seems kind of, it seems a little disingenuous to me that the industry from a trade publication or from a trade standpoint has all gotten down to cribs and trends. And, you know, here's the list. Like, you cannot tell me that 80% of the world's greatest design talent comes from New York. I'm sorry, but you can't tell me that. I don't, I don't believe that, right? And being, you know, being in the Midwest now, there's incredible design 
in Dallas, in Houston, in Chicago, you know, in, in uh, Nashville. I'm curious, how does, how does that inform the manner in which you do your business? Like, I know the trades are important. I know the, like, you know, Takashi, Stephen and I years ago went on a tour uh, during Modernism Week of this Rancho Mirage project, which is really, it was an exceptional project. I forgot the name of it. Um, Desert Oasis or so, something like that. But it was a, it was a, a, a rusted steel clad structure on a Vista, just an amazing, amazing project. And Stephen was explaining to me at the time, you know, why and how and what went into it. And, you know, Alex, you talk about the storytelling behind the visual storytelling. That is what I feel like the industry has transformed in a couple of years into something that it's supposed to be. It's a narrative. It, it is a language. It's, you know, design is a different dialect of the language than architecture, but it's a story. Every project is a story that deeply and personally affects those who live within each, each project that's completed. And all of these other projects that never get shot or never get publicized, they're still part of the narrative. Does, does that factor into the way that you guys each do your business? Like Gary, you have a completely different set of merchandising that you do because you have a retail location. But everyone else here, you know, you've got your social media, you've got your websites, you've got the, the projects that you put out there on a one-to-one -one basis. Has your narrative changed as you, as you perceive it from a merchandising standpoint? Do you, do you feel differently about how you tell your own stories versus the need to get someone else, a magazine, a website, a podcast, to tell your stories for you? Well, I'll jump in, I guess. Um, I mean, for me, like I've, I've been part of EYRC. It wasn't EYRC when I joined, but for 22 years. So I just started like as one of the designers here. Now I'm a partner. But over that arc, I've kind of discovered myself as a designer, right? And then slowly journalists or clients have discovered what I bring to the table as opposed to, you know, what I used to bring to the table in partnership with Steven or as part of the entity. And I can wear different hats depending on the situation. Like some people just come to us and they don't know either of us. Some people come to us because of Steven. Some people come to us because of me. But I think, you know, and this is related to the whole self-reflection piece related to the last few years, more and more, I try to get the work, the, the hustle, the relationships with individuals to align with my personal passions. So I mentioned earlier, I'd love to have like more of a presence in Japan. I'd have to say at least half of my clients, yeah, at least half, well over half are aware of my roots and aware of my interests and they have common interests, right? So whether it's like they love to travel to Japan or they want some of that influence in their architecture or they are eager to discover more of that in, through working with me, that's definitely become part of um, a significant portion of the work that comes out of our studio here. So that's, you know, and part of the hustle is I'll be in Tokyo or Kyoto or wherever and clients will know. And so we will meet up or I will tell them I'm going or they'll tell me they're going and we'll arrange dates so we overlap. So part of, you know, architecture has become like a broader thing. It's not just designing projects anymore, but it's like my being sort of like their, you know, friend and colleague and advisor in how design relates to their lives, right? If, if they're interested in this certain perspective. And so I can't even remember, Josh, what the original question was, <laughs> but, but it all comes back to um, um, finding like how design in your, it maybe goes back all the way to Lori's first comment about how she's found like more sanity in the way she works, but Again, I love the hustle. I love all these aspects of design. And um, design has been like an existential journey for me. 
right? So as I mature as a designer, I've realized more things about myself and then I've, I've strived to find ways in which the work can resonate with that self-discovery. And that's been like amazing. That's been like an amazing trip to have some success doing that. That was really well said. That was. <laughs> There's a Gloria Vanderbilt quote, uh, home design is autobiography. Yeah, that's a great quote. Wow. Yeah. I think that we all find our little niches and how we evolve. I don't think there's a set format for any of us. I think we're all multifaceted, it sounds like, that we have. It's, we're, I started as an artist and evolved into design and furniture and all that, but it's been my path. I can't tell everyone to do the same path. I right. think at the end of the day, I'm going to tell you, be passionate, love what you do, and it'll all work out. Well, that's the easy way of saying it, but I'm just saying is you do have to, it's, it's, a, it's a job, but it's a passion. And if you love it, you have to live and breathe it, I think, because it never kind of stops. It's at, the, at four o'clock, I'm not done with design exactly. or any creative process, probably for any of us. So I'm just, I think, and I see people and I go, oh, I'm kind of envious how they're operating. And, but their social media is like out of crazy. I don't want to spend that much time on social media. I don't want to spend that much time at going to KBiz or whatever. I mean, I, I, I select my things that work for me. And I think that's the key for everyone. Put your blinders on and do your thing. Don't, don't follow, don't be a lemming and follow what everyone else is doing. It's like trends to me. I don't do trends. I'm not one of those people. I, I, I design for the client. Where's yeah. the project? Is it on the East Coast, West Coast, out of the country? So there's all these variables that you can't use it as a, as a, a useful list of things that you have to do. There's no right or wrong way to do this. I think you have to find, I think a lot of great designers aren't very outgoing and their personalities aren't developed. And then you go, God, they're so brilliant though. But they can't, they're, they don't like the social interaction. And that's a big part of what we do. Mm -hmm. it's it's a huge part and I like to talk to everybody and I and I love that engagement and the sharing and, and I have grown to be more reclusive though and that's <laughs> that's the COVID thing yeah. well that's that's, that's what's that's what's so interesting Gary is and and I think Lori you and I were having this conversation in LA at ICAA um I was there emceeing the event for Richard Landry and I had mentioned, it was like, I've, I've forgotten how to be social. I've, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I've forgotten how to interact at these live events. I was more awkward than I was before. And that's not, you know, that's like, I think the difference is I've learned to accept that awkwardness where it's like, okay, it is, here we are. It is what it is. I'm just going to, I'm going to go ahead and embrace the awkwardness. But to the point, going back to live events. So Takashi, you're going to modernism. Is mm. anyone going to KBiz? I'll probably go to KBiz. You will? I'm going to go to KBiz, yeah. Rosita, are you going to any events? Um, actually, I was thinking of going to Vegas, but not sure yet. Because uh, my uh, the guy that I'm working with for kitchen and cabinets I'm majorly working with him on most of my projects now. And uh, the fact that he goes, it's enough for me because he needs to have. <laughs> sure, sure. The, uh, and then I go to his uh, showroom or office and then he's going to tell me what's there. But I really want to see it myself too, but it really depends if I can do it uh, at that time. But I would like to do it. I went to... Um, the Salone, uh, like right before COVID. And that was a really nice thing. And I actually uh, could use a couple of the leads there for here, for my projects here. And it's, uh, it was very nice just to see how it worked. So uh, it was through Snyder Diamond and Polyform. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Josh, are you going anywhere? No plans as of yet. Nope. Gary? Nope. 
It's working. Yep. Oh yeah, we covered that. You're going to be antisocial. I got it. Alex? <laughs> Trader Joe's later on today. Trader Joe's later on. Okay. <laughs> is there is there any place that um, you're longing to go? Rosita, you want to go back to Salone? Is, is there any place that, are any any events that you really want to go to that you're looking forward to that you haven't been able to since what, 2020, mm-hmm. 2019? I really... Mm-hmm. I really want to go to like the high points uh, yeah. now because I used to do like um, editorial panel discussions and now I want to do business panel discussions. So I'm excited mm. to get out there, meet new people and talk about all the things I've discovered over these past three years about building your own business, doing it on your own. So I kind of want to get like back into the panel thing, but I don't, I don't want to talk about trends like beige is the new gray or whatever. Cause it's all silly, you know, but it went, you know, if you want to talk about making money, I'm all in. I love that. So mm-hmm. I want to go to all of these shows and, and talk about making money. Mm. That's my, yeah. Takashi, where would you like to go? Oh, well, you know what? I, I just go. So like, there's, yeah. So like I'm going to Japan next week. Like I have three Japan trips planned already. And, you know, I'm looking forward to fog art fair up in San Francisco and freeze in LA. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Freeze in yeah. LA. Mm-hmm. I want to do that. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, there. I went to um, Euro Kachina in June. Yeah. The, the Solani. And I did that in June and it was smaller and more tangible and it was so much yeah. better. Yeah. I mean, mm. yeah, I'm hoping KBiz will be the same because I find KBiz just too, too big and, you know, too overwhelming and just especially for the few days that you're there. So I'm hoping that KBiz is scaled back a bit. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I, I feel like there are opportunities like Gary, I don't know if you've ever, have you ever heard of Round Top? Yes. Have you ever been to Round Top? I haven't. That's one that I've talked about it for years, but I've never been. Round Top, for those not familiar, like if you're if you're familiar with the Pasadena flea market or the flea markets Mm. around Maison in Paris, um, it's a flea market in Texas. It's not a flea market. It's a it's a it's a city of Round Top. You know, it's one of those things. It's just the coolest thing where, unfortunately, now everybody knows about it. It's like when Austin used to be cool, but now it's Austin. But aside from that, you know, it's just, it's a cool experience. That's one that, that I think now we have an opportunity to move around again, to go to some of these smaller ones. Listen, this has been so much fun. I I really do appreciate all you guys popping on uh, and having this little reunion. This was fun. We maybe need to do this at least once a year just to reconnect. I would love that. Yeah, we'd love yeah. that. Wonderful. All right. Twice a year, Josh. Listen, Gary, if you if you're down for twice a year, yeah, you got it. With cocktails, I'll make you. I'll make you go somewhere though. You'll have to go in person. Oh, I really <laughs> love the I last just, time we met at uh, um, at the kitchen. Ornare. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. That was guys. Good. Thanks for doing this. If uh, if you happen to be in Vegas, make sure you uh, you ring me up. I would love to see you. In person. Thanks, oh, Josh. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, hey, we'll Josh. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Josh. Thank you, everyone. Bye, everybody. Bye. It was nice Bye. to meet you. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. We are living at a time of incredible growth, both technologically and creatively, with respect to interior design, exterior design, and architecture. There is no question. There are companies thinking differently about the business of design and how to make products super serve those for whom they're being made. One of those companies, and one of my favorites, is Moya Living, designer and fabricators of some of the most stunningly beautiful, incredibly durable, and highly functional kitchen, bath, and outdoor kitchen cabinetry on the market today. Powder-coated steel with stunning lines, vibrant colors to fit any design style or aesthetic a history of designing cabinetry for the scientific community. So you know it's been tested in some of the truly the most harsh conditions available. Moya O'Neill is the CEO and founder of Moya Living. She's the inspiration behind the design. Designers, their specification process is so simple. It will make your job so much easier. Check them out online through the socials at Moya Living their website, moyaliving.com, and in the real world, 
their live kitchen showroom in Fountain Valley, California. The Institute of Classical Architecture and Art Southern California chapter is a forum for professionals in the industry and enthusiasts to come together, share their love, and show their commitment to the timeless principles of beauty, proportion, and observation that are embodied in classicism. Their members include renowned architects, designers, landscape architects, builders, students, artists, and creatives from every walk of life. It's a wonderful organization designed to celebrate the unique regional identity of Southern California and help develop the careers of the like-minded. If you're interested in joining or would like to learn more about sponsorship and support for the ICAA Southern California chapter, please email me, convobydesign at outlook.com. What a fun conversation. I love that we could do this. Thank you, Lori, Rosita, Alex, Takashi, Gary, and Josh. Thank you for all you do to move the conversation forward. Thank you, Convo by Design partners and sponsors and friends, Thermosol, Moya Living, Design Hardware, the ICAA Southern California Chapter, and the Oasis Alliance. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to the show. Subscribe, download, and send me emails with guest submissions and project ideas for coverage. I love them. Keep them coming. Until next week, be well and take today first. Mm-hmm.